Welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans. In this session, we begin a brand new section in the book of Romans, Romans 9 through 11. And this section is indeed a very, very challenging section. In fact, N.T. Wright opens up his comments on this section in his commentary on Romans by saying, everything about this section is controversial. And you can see why he says that. There's plenty of controversy to go around. Romans 11.26, for example, has the famous, all Israel will be saved. Well, what is that referring to? What does that mean? Chapter 9 in total itself is the most notorious for its contribution to the Calvinism and Arminianism debate on predestination. Does God predestine some individuals to salvation and others to damnation? If so, on what basis? His own free choice, foreknown faith, or what? And as you read chapter 9, you can see where that idea comes from, that there's places where it feels very much like God just is randomly and arbitrarily making choices according to his own initiative, his own mercy, or his own sovereign free choice, right? And, and so this section is a very, very challenging section in Romans. Not only that, this section feels very different than the end of chapter 8, right? If you have listened to the end of chapter 8, it ends with what feels like this very glorious crescendo of celebration, uh, really celebrating the security we have as God's people in God's love. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Can And he lists off all these things, and nothing can. And it's this incredible uh, celebration of God's love and the security we have in that love. And Romans 8 there at the end is the culmination of a long argument that began in chapter 5 showing just how Jesus has undone all the sin and death and condemnation that's in this world that was unleashed through Adam and that we all became complicit and a part of. And when you get to chapter 9, after all this long argument about all the good work that God has done and Ending with this crescendo of celebration, chapter 9 just feels like a very sudden and stark change, both in tone and in mood and even in topic. And, and so there's like a hard stop at the end of chapter 8 and a very stark and sudden change at the beginning of chapter 9 from the grand majestic crescendo. The music suddenly changes to a minor key and a serious and somber tone fills the text. Some have even been so bold as to say, you could go from the end of chapter 8, pick up at the beginning of chapter 12, and it flows very nicely. Like chapter uh, 8 ends with talking about God's love and his mercy and his grace, on how nothing can separate us from that. And chapter 12 picks up by saying, therefore, on the basis of God's mercy, and they just seem to flow naturally together. And chapter 9 through 11 feels like an interruption of the flow. And so man, what's it doing here, right? And that should perhaps be our first clue that maybe we're reading it wrong. Maybe we're reading 9 through 11 wrong. Maybe we're actually reading some things about the entire book of Romans wrong. If we think we could just pull 9 through 11 out and lose nothing of consequence to the argument or the flow of thought. What if, what if Romans 9 through 11 and even the letter as a whole, to some degree, is about a different question altogether. What if it's not about, first and foremost, who gets saved and how one gets saved per se, but what if it's about something else? What if Romans 9 through 11 is more about God 
and his ways with Israel, especially in light of their large-scale rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Has God forsaken his promises to Israel? Has he been unfaithful and unrighteous to them? And this actually is the very way Paul frames up the issue at the outset of chapter 9. That's the question that he he asks and he's dealing with. Does the large scale of rejection of Jesus from the Jewish uh, audience nullify God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, and all his promises to them? So if you took the time to listen to the introduction to the entire letter to Romans way back at the beginning of this commentary, on Romans, um, hopefully you'll recall that we said sometimes in our post-Protestant Reformation world, we have uh, missed read Romans emphasizing individual salvation and overlooking the people of God component. It's not that Romans doesn't have anything to say about individual salvation. It's just that that individual salvation component is set in the larger context and the broader purpose of explaining who is the people of God and how do you become a part of the people of God. And that's why the Jew-Gentile issue has actually been an important component of the argument even up to this point. That's why Paul raised some questions about that clear back in the beginning. That's why when he was even working up to the demonstration of God's righteousness in Jesus at the end of chapter 3. He had to talk about Gentiles and pagan Gentiles. He had to talk about good moral people. He had, then he had to shift to Jews. And that's why he would say that all people, Jew and Gentile alike, have fallen short of the glory of God. That's been a part of it. Or not only that, as you work through Romans, you, we see the importance of Torah, the Old Testament law, and how God's people is no longer formed inside Torah, but now in Christ, right? And so he's, he's helping us understand that the people of God now are located in a different place through a different means than they were under the Old Covenant. And if you recall the story of the book, we said that Paul's desire is really to use the Roman church as sort of a launching pad, a base of operations for his ministry to the West. And that really requires them to understand the Gentile mission and to support the Gentile mission and see where that Gentile mission fits into the context of Israel's history and the Old Testament scriptures. And yet, there is some disunity and fragmentation in the church directly along these Jew-Gentile lines. And so Paul wants this disunity to be remedied. And one of the objectives of all the theology of Romans is to help both Jews and Gentiles understand this question. Who are the people of God now that Messiah has come? And so the people of God component has been huge, really, to the purpose of Romans. It's going to be huge continuing forward in Romans. And thus, in view of that, Romans 9 through 11 is not an aside. It's not as if you can go from the end of 8 to the beginning of 12, leaving this out, and lose nothing of significance. Romans 9 through 11 is actually very central to one of the major objectives of this letter, and that is to bring God's people together in Rome initially, and then, uh, by extension, all throughout the world as one family formed in Christ. Now, all people, Jew and Gentile alike, are put right with God, brought into his family through faith in Jesus, not through Torah, not through the Old Testament law. Now, now that Messiah has come, people live as the people of God by faith and through the Spirit 
and again, not by the Torah. And so God's people, Jew and Gentile alike, are formed and found in Christ, and therein lies a big problem, a deeply felt problem for the Jews of Paul's days, a visceral problem, the kind of problem that actually led to hostility and violence towards Paul when he preached the gospel in cities around the Mediterranean. He can anticipate the objection that needs to be addressed here in 9 through 11 because he's felt it, literally felt it sometimes in beatings and stonings around the empire when he's preached the very message of Jesus. And that problem is this. How do the Jews fit in? What about the Jews? What about God's promises to the Jews, right? That's the problem. And it's a deeply felt problem in Paul's day. We, in our context right now, may not feel it as viscerally and deeply as they did, but it was a deeply felt problem. The gospel that Paul's preaching in Romans and the gospel that Paul preached around the Mediterranean world has implications about the Jews and the Jewish people. If God's people, now that Messiah has come, if God's people includes both Jew and Gentiles who are in Christ, then what about all the Jews who are outside of Jesus? And since when Paul has preached the gospel around the Mediterranean world, most of the Jews in those towns rejected Jesus and the message that he's the Messiah, that means the majority of Jews are outside of Jesus. And so what about them? What about God's promise to them? What about God's righteousness in view of the fact most of the Jews of Paul's day didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah? And so as Paul has preached the gospel here in Romans about all people being united together in Christ and not Torah, well, that has huge, deep, profound implications, and it's those implications that Paul is actually going to address in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And so what we need to do as we read through these chapters is we need to keep our eye on this, that Romans 9 through 11 is one tightly argued unit that focus, focuses on the question of God's justice and faithfulness to Israel in view of his promises to them and their rejection of Jesus as Messiah. And you see how tightly it's argued when you look at the, the, the introduction to it in Romans 9 and the culmination of it in Romans 11. In Romans 9, at the introduction, Paul raises the initial statement, the initial kind of thesis he's going to prove in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. And he says, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In other words, they're not all like legitimately God's people who have Jewish blood throwing, flowing through their veins, right? Who have Jewish DNA. They're not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And then you keep reading along, reading along, reading along, and you get to the culmination in chapter six or chapter 11. And Paul says in 1126, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Do you hear the connection? They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In this way, all Israel will be saved. And everything in between has to do with helping the reader, us in this case, understand what does it mean to really be a part of Israel? Who really are the true Jews? Who are, and now at this point in time the Messiah has come, God's people, right? And specifically, who are who are the Jews who are really a part of God's people now. They're not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And Paul is going to help us understand what he means by that in the paragraphs that follow. So the question Paul is asking and answering 
in Romans 9 through 11 is this. In view of the large-scale rejection of Jesus as Messiah, what about God's righteousness and faithfulness to the Jews? Does the fact that most Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah and thus are now outside of God's justified people, does that fact nullify God's righteousness to the Jews? And Paul's answer is, no, no indeed. Just like he's asked questions and said no indeed before, he says it again, no indeed. And what he's going to do, let me just kind of summarize kind of the flow of thought so we can hear it and have a map as we look at the details. What he's going to say is he's going to flush out that no. Paul's answer is no indeed. And he says, like, even with Abraham, not all his descendants were part of the people of promise. Throughout the history of Israel, God worked with a faithful remnant. And so Paul says, likewise now, God is welcoming a faithful remnant of Jews into his family, those who have believed in Jesus as Messiah. And Paul says, any Jews who have been rejected, that is those who haven't put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, any Jews who have been rejected can once again become a part of God's people if they will shift their confidence from the Torah to Jesus as Messiah. Now, that's not to say they can't keep the Torah. They just need to recognize that the Torah doesn't make them in, doesn't justify them, doesn't make them superior. It doesn't give them even an advantage over the disadvantaged Gentiles, right? And and so they just have to shift their confidence to Messiah and realize Jesus is the Messiah and his people are formed in Messiah. And, and Gentile Christians who are now in Christ, they must not be arrogant against the Jews since they sprang from the Jews and share with them in all of God's promises to Abraham. In other words, they've been brought into the, the family tree that started with Abraham. Paul actually uses the imagery of a tree there in Romans chapter 11. And Paul says all of this is because of God's mercy. Because it doesn't depend on the one who runs or the one who wills, but on God who has mercy. And God has shut up all people under disobedience that he might show mercy to anybody and everybody. Jews and Gentiles alike, and the way he does that is by people putting their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And so, as N.T. Wright puts it in his commentary, he says, Paul is not then producing an abstract essay on the way in which God always works with individuals, or for that matter, with nations and races. This is specifically the story of Israel, the chosen people. It is the unique story of how the Creator has worked with the covenant people to bring about the purpose for which the covenant was made in the first place, which was to rescue and restore this broken down world from sin, death, and condemnation. And so we have to read this as part of the story of Israel, as in the context or against the backdrop of the story of Israel. This is... Paul's summary of how the story of Israel worked up until the point that Messiah should come. And Paul's argument in these chapters really unfolds in three, three big chunks, three big parts that, that can be stated as like three sub-questions under that big question about God's faithfulness and righteousness to the Jews in view of their large-scale rejection of Jesus the Messiah. So chapter 9 wrestles with this question. God's word hasn't come up empty, has it? And Paul says, well, no, no. God has always had to make choices about who he'll use for certain purposes and through whom the promise will be carried forward. So he's always had to narrow, narrow down the descendants of Abraham. Now, chapter 10, really the big question in that chapter is, okay, well then, why has Israel missed out on God's righteousness in Christ and the Gentiles have welcomed and received it? And the answer is, 
Well, because of their contrasting responses to the gospel. Israel rejected the gospel and pursued God's righteousness by the Torah, by by works of the law, Paul says. But the Gentiles believed the gospel, and and so they experienced God's righteousness through faith, through faith in Jesus. And thus, God's rejection of Israel isn't arbitrary. It's not willy-nilly as if God just decided, "Ah, I'm done with you. It's specifically because Israel has actually rejected the gospel. Well, chapter 11 then picks up at that point, and the question being dealt with in chapter 11 is, well, has God rejected Israel completely? And the answer again is no, not completely. God has actually preserved a faithful remnant, like always, so Israel's lost opportunity isn't final. And not only that, um, Israelites can actually come into Christ simply by putting their faith in him. And so, no, it's not completely. There's still a faithful remnant, and there's still the opportunity for individual Jews to come to faith in Jesus as Messiah and thus become a part of the the chosen people again. And so the big question in these chapters isn't, did God predestine some people to salvation and some not? The question is, Has God failed to keep his promises to Israel? Has his word failed? What does Israel's history teach us about that? And what does this teach us about God and God's ways and God's faithfulness and God's sovereignty? And what difference does that make to us as God's people today? All right, that should give us a map, at least the lay of the land. So as we work through these chapters, we kind of have the big picture in mind. And having that big picture in mind, even though there's some details that are very challenging in here, having that big picture in mind will help us make better sense out of some of those details as we go along. So with that, let's jump into the details of Romans chapter 9.